But you see, this disease is no longer a fat and 50 man's disease. I mean, people used to, when I first got into this field, any man that walked into my clinic who had a big paunch, a big fat neck, and was, you know, his posture was, you know, trying to open up his airway, I kept thinking, he's sleep apnea, he's sleep apnea. I could be on a bus, on a train, and say, he's sleep apnea. But I kept <laughs> very wrong. I was, it was almost like a hammer and nail situation. It was, it was absolutely not that at all. But now, I, the majority of my patients are not fat and 50. They're females, they're males, they're very young. My youngest patient is 17 years old. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Sleep-disordered breathing, sleep apnea, and airway problems in dentistry. These are some of the things that have become quite an area of interest in dentistry and for all the right reasons. Because as dentists, we're in such a brilliant position to screen for airway issues beyond just snoring. Like we don't want to just treat snoring, we want to add years to our patients' lives. And if we can diagnose, or we can't diagnose, but we can screen for sleep apnea and airway issues and get the patients the help and then we can be involved in potential therapy such as removal appliances to bring the mandible forward and that way we can have a huge impact in someone's life. I was always taught that the two times you can save someone's life in dentistry is A, if you detect or diagnose a mouth cancer, or B, a Barrett's esophagus or someone's got acid reflux, and for them to get investigated and have a, a camera to explore that area. However, I think a third one that wasn't mentioned to me in dental school, but definitely should be there, is sleep disorder breathing or sleep apnea, because on average that can take 10 years off of your life expectancy. And in case you think that sleep apnea is a disease of the fat old man, you're totally mistaken. So whether it's in children or in adults, this episode with Dr. Aditi Desai, who's just the most incredibly passionate woman ever on this topic, is gonna open your mind. So please lend me your ears, and for those of you on YouTube and on the app, your eyes to this Protrusive Dental Podcast episode. Hello, Protruserati, I'm Jazz Galati. I'm your host, and I've got your Protrusive Dental Pearl for you today, which you can access in the show notes. So essentially, the Protrusive Dental Pearl I have is my sequence for removing Invisalign attachments. So it's like a video, I'll show you exactly what I do, how I use a UV torch to see if there's any resin still left, the different burrs I use and the polishes I use. I don't think I have the best. I don't know about different protocols and stuff. I just do what I've been doing for many years and it works really well now. And then we get the Optrigate in, we use a series of burrs and polishes, and we get a really nice result. A few of you did ask me for a video on removing attachments, so you got it. The Protrusive Dental Pearl will be in the show notes. Just scroll down wherever you're listening or watching. Scroll down and you'll see that video. And if you like that one, give it a thumb up and let me know do you do anything different is there a hack that i'm missing that you want to share with the protruserati let's join the main episode with dr aditi desai and i'll catch you in the outro occlusion is just so confusing does occlusion even matter wait don't you just grind away all the blue marks right you mean like plant it low let it grow or leave it high and let them cry listen what are these interferences even interfering with is it safe to lengthen teeth how much can i raise my patient's bite how can you stop your composite restorations from chipping? Can you raise the OVD on a patient with clicking TMJs? Is canine guidance always better than group function? Why can't I just use the dial technique on all my wear cases? Can I stop my patients from grinding? What the bloody hell is crossover? What should the occlusion look like after orthodontics? How 
And why do you check for Fremitus? What on earth is a custom and sizable guide table? How do you use a leaf gauge? Do you always need to use a Facebook? Does everyone really need a perfect occlusion? What is the difference between edge wear and pathway wear? Is it naughty to adjust the opposing tooth? What the f is centric relation? Occlusion is coming. One does not simply just open the bite. May the force mitigation be with you. To make sure you don't miss the crucial update about the launch of our occlusion course, OBAB, head over to occlusion.wtf. That's right, it's actually occlusion.wtf. It's almost released and you're gonna love it. Dr. Aditi Desai, welcome to the Protrusion on Podcast. How are you? Thank you very much for inviting me, Jazz. I'm, I'm pretty good, I think. <laughs> you just told me you'd like to run your uh, admin sessions and do your uh, Zoom meetings and stuff. So I'm very uh, glad to catch you uh, on a productive day because we want to fill the ears and the eyes of dentists, those who are watching, with a very important topic, which is an, you know on the huge list of topics that are barely scratched at dental school. Uh, and, and so many dentists I know, uh, they will gladly admit that, you know what, when it comes to airway, I have zero idea. It's something that we're openly saying that, you know what, we, we don't know at the moment. And I feel as though, and I don't know how you feel, but as a nation, we are so far behind the States and Australia. Uh, is that something that you feel? You know, I thought that we were much further behind the States and Australia, but actually we're not. I think we are a little bit more measured in how we actually conduct ourselves. You know, we're not sort of um, theatric in our present, pre you know, presentation, our presence. So I think dental sleep medicine in this country has been around for a very long time. The what we don't have is we don't have the regulation that we, we require. And for me, I think that is the most important aspect of it because we need to establish that credibility. And until we have that credibility, how are we going to actually close that gap between medicine and dentistry? Because I think that the, the subject matter is such that this is the one area in medicine and dentistry that's going to bring the two fraternities together, which I think is important. I mean, how can you possibly dissect the head from the rest of the body? Yes, uh, it's often the way that dentistry is like completely segregated. And uh, I agree with you. Sleep is such a, a great connector of both the medicine world and, and the dental world. But before we dive into that and we talk about the, the guidelines and the changes and how dentists, no matter where you are in the world, I mean, particularly UK, because we're talking about UK-based guidelines, but wherever you are in the world, how you can get involved, what are the things that you need to look out for in, in general practice and how to better serve our patients. That's the mission uh, of this podcast episode. But I want to learn a little bit about you. Tell us about your journey, how you ended up interested in this niche field of dental sleep medicine. You know, I've been a dentist, graduated 45 years ago, and I've pretty been, I've been a very lucky person. I've had a wonderful career. I've been, you know, in, I've, I've done dentistry in every field that you can think of. But the one part of dentistry that really rang my bells was airway. And I, I actually came across this when many years ago, when I was the BBC dentist, a patient came into my clinic from Australia, gave me some really stinky, smelly silicone monoblock and said to me, can you fix this? And I started looking at it and I thought, <laughs> and I at it, I thought what is this? And he said, you helped me sleep. And, you know, he wasn't a pleasant man. So I thought, well, actually, I don't know what it is. So I think it's better to say, you know, to learn to say no is so powerful. So I said, I'm really sorry, but I can't. But my mind took me back a little bit. And I thought, you know, what was that? What do you mean? Silicon monoblock that helps you sleep. So I started looking a little bit into it. Then I came across the British Society of Dental Sleep Medicine. And that is my journey. 
And I started to learn a little bit more, you know, attended a course. Then they invited me to join the board. And then about just under, well, I think about seven years ago, I was elected president and I remained president. I wish somebody would want to take over my job now. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been very lucky because, you know, it, it's actually given me an idea of how dentistry goes beyond drilling, filling, restoring, whitening, you know, and, and aligning. I think all of that is very important, of course, but to be able to actually look at a patient and be able to help them with their quality of life is as important as whitening somebody's teeth and making them feel good about themselves. So that's my Agreed. This is something that can uh, add years to our patients' lives and improve their quality of life. How I uh, am early on in my journey, but definitely something I, I, I've looked at and thought, wow, I need to start screening my patients more. And the way it happened with me was a similar experience to you. I was at Guy's Hospital. I was a DCT uh, and I was working on the consultant clinics uh, and we had one clinic about once a month, every two weeks, where we would see patients who had a positive diagnosis from the sleep condition uh, of mild to moderate sleep to breathing or sleep apnea. Uh, and then we would be making the exact same, can you believe it, this was 2015, the monoblock silicon appliances at the hospital. And then I was like, what on earth is happening here? And then as I delve further into the world of bruxism and TMD, then I realized, whoa, this is connected so much to, to, to sleep. And we'll, we will touch on that. So it's, it's great to hear of your drive and your passion to spread the word. So I guess the, the first starting point for the dentist listening to this who has no idea what's going on, what is this sleep apnea, can just start by probably saying something that you probably say to a lot of introductory talks. What is it that we're up against? What is the main issue? What is sleep disordered breathing, essentially? Right. So sleep disordered breathing is a syndrome. It's a collection of disorders which create a syndrome where people are not able to sleep and breathe efficiently enough when they do try and do that together. So it's really a disease of sleep. It's also a disease of breathing together. So whether you sleep in the day or you sleep at night, whenever you sleep, you have a problem. It's really all about the collapsible airway. It's the unsupported part of your airway, which has no bony or ligamental support, which tends to collapse. Now, when you have complete collapse, for 10 seconds or more, that's called a sleep apnea, an obstructive sleep apnea. Now, that has got to be distinct from central sleep apnea, which is a neurological condition. So that's got nothing to do with us, and we don't get involved in treating patients with central sleep apnea. So for us, obstructive sleep apnea is at one end of the spectrum, and at the other end of the spectrum are people who snore. So, you know, we all snore. Now and again, we have a good night out, we come back, lie on our backs, and, you know, we're snoring away. That's okay. That's benign snoring. But when somebody is snoring every night through the night, that actually becomes pathological. So if somebody's just snoring all night, they still can wake up in the morning feeling tired because the brain is being aroused constantly through the snoring. And not only is it affecting them, it's also affecting their bed partners and people who are in the house. So it's almost like treating two or three for the price of one when you treat mm -hmm. somebody snoring. And when you try and think about, I think there are a billion people globally who have this disorder syndrome, and only about 20% of them have been diagnosed and treated. In this country, we're looking at over 2 million people who have this disorder, and only 20% may have been treated and diagnosed. 
that uh, Aditi, my, my son is actually in those uh, in that category. He's only three. He's having his ado- adenoids removed in two weeks. He had a positive diagnosis. He had a home sleep test. It was 21 seconds where he was not breathing. Actually, uh, they found that. So uh, again, from my own experiences, again another reason why I've taken an interest uh, in myself. So uh, the dentist might be thinking, wait, what, what has this got anything to do with teeth? When I mentioned the number of 2.2 million, I was talking about adults. Children mm. is different. And children man, are managed differently. Although their, their symptoms may be the same, you know, they don't perform that well at school. You know, they are sort of somewhat, um, they might even have bad bedwetting. They might have behavioral issues. You know, all of these are part of a child's sleep apnea problems. And, and they always get put away as the naughty child or the difficult child because they may even have ADHD. But, you know, to treat a child patient who has sleep apnea as a result of tonsils is actually, it's, it's amazing because I've seen some of my patients, you know, one or two child patients who've had their tonsils removed. And by the time the GA is, you know, gone and they're, they're awake again, they're a different child. It's as remarkable as that. I've heard that a lot myself, a loads from from dentists, parent dentists whose, whose own children have been through it. They've told me that they'd actually have to keep checking if my child is still breathing because what they realize actually their breathing is much quieter. Uh, yeah. That's the first thing that people to parents tell me actually. So, but you see, this disease is no longer a fat and fifty man's disease. I mean, people used to when I first got into this field, any man that walked into my clinic who had a big paunch, a big fat neck and was, you know, his posture was, you know, trying to open up his airway. I kept thinking, he's sleep apneic, he's sleep apneic. I could be on a bus, on a train, and say, he's sleep apneic. But I kept <laughs> very wrong. I was, it was almost like a hammer and nail situation. It was, it was absolutely not that at all. But now, I, the majority of my patients are not fat and 50. They're females, they're males, they're very young. My youngest patient is 17 years old you know, adult, when I say adult, 17, almost 18 years old, mm-hmm. you know, they are slim, they're mm-hmm. incredibly thin, they have a very long, thin, narrow face, they're very slit noses. These are the things that we look at, you know, the very sort of narrow arches. And these are the patients that I see a lot of. So it's no longer a fat and 50 man's disease. Of course, there are fat and 50 who are sleep apneic, but you can't mm-hmm. stereotype them anymore. You can't just look at a thin man, person and say, well, you're tired, you're snoring, it's fine, you'll be fine. You, they may not be fine. They may have severe sleep apnea. So that's where you know I'm very keen that every dentist who looks at a patient, looks in the mouth and sees their telltale signs and has the telltale symptoms, they should just have their red flag up thinking, let me just assess them mentally. Once they've done the mental assessment, then they can ask a couple of pertinent questions and then get them screened officially and formally diagnosed by a sleep physician and then treated. So if a patient comes in, for example, and says, you know, Mr. Galati, I'm, I'm actually snoring and my wife will not sleep with me anymore. Can you please help me? And you say, of course, you know, let me make you a mandibular advancement device or a monoblock or whatever you decide to make them. You will be actually working against the guidelines because mm-hmm. our guidelines have changed. We have to assess these patients, have them formally diagnosed by a medical professional, that medical professional will then give us a, you know, an outline of what they believe to be the right pathway. But that doesn't mean that you don't treat the patient while they're being assessed. Because remember, mm-hmm. we look at the NHS pathways. And the NHS pathway, we've got a long, long waiting list. Absolutely. So you get these patients to wait for two years before they're seen. In fact, I spoke to one of my ENT consultants this morning. He said he has a five-year waiting list in the ENT hospitals. Wow. 
five years. Now, whether that is for surgery or whether that's for CPAP, I don't believe that CPAP will be five years, although we have had this latest CPAP debacle where the Philips recalled all their CPAP machines. So there's been a huge shortage. Now, these patients need treatment. If you're a snorer, yes, let your wife sleep in the second bedroom for a couple of nights, you know, maybe a couple of months. That's okay. That's not going to be too much of a slippery slope. However, get, you know, these patients, giving them treatment with a mandibular advancement device while they're waiting for their CPAP machines is giving them some treatment rather than no treatment at all. Can, can I just stop you there? Because I think we're touching on something really, really good. And I, I like how you've gone right in and this is going to be very, very uh, good. But let's make it even more tangible because many dentists actually have been on a course to treat snoring and then and then maybe fell into, oh, hang on, if I'm treating snoring, I also need to do this tick box exercise of screening for, for, for obstructive sleep apnea. And, and then they sort of back off and refer if the, if it's high risk and then medium risk, they, they just go ahead and treat. So with the new guidelines, I think it's, August 2021, right? Yes. So we're referring to the same guidelines here. And I'll share that in the show notes for those listening so you can, you can download those. So if you're wanting to treat a snorer and you've done your screening and you feel as though that this patient is a simple snorer only and you feel as though the, that they don't have the high risk signs of obstructive sleep apnea, can a dentist go ahead and make that mandibular advancement splint without referring to the GP? So that's the first thing I want to unpack. So they can. Mm-hmm. They- so what, what the Prince Society of Dental Sleep Medicine have come, come up with is a, it's, it's almost like an algorithm. It's a guideline. You know, it's, it's giving you a pathway of, you know, risk, high risk, low risk, moderate risk, and, you know, what to do. So if a patient is low risk, asymptomatic, the word is asymptomatic. That is the most important one, okay? And, and as soon as they're asymptomatic and they're snorers, yes, go ahead and make the device, the mandibular advancement device. But documented record that says that you made this only for snoring and Mm -hmm. advise their GPs that you've actually made a splint for snoring only. The next important thing is these patients need to be followed up because this disease or syndrome is one that gets worse over time, age, and weight. So Mm -hmm. somebody who's just a benign snorer or a pathological snorer and asymptomatic may get worse as they get older and fatter. And we all get fatter as we get older. And our muscles (laughs) are bit floppy as we get older you know that's a fact of life unfortunately much as i deny it but there we go Mm -hmm. with those in the the medium and high risk now before we uh, follow the algorithm and we can share that what are the symptoms that we're listening for and what are the signs that we're looking for as general dentists so that we can start to have an involvement in this um, very important area of what is the interface of medicine and dentistry so a patient will not come to you saying i'm going to the bathroom three times a night because we're Mm. a dentist They're not going to come to you and say, you know, I may come to you with a headache, but they're not going to come to you and say, you know, I wake up feeling terrible every every morning because that's not what we do. But they will come in and say, I snore. And they might sort of say, gosh, I just feel so tired. Or you're treating them and suddenly fall asleep. Or they might start snoring. Just that they go into that light sleep, they might just start snoring. These are telltale signs. The other symptoms are that they might be tooth grinding. They Mm -hmm. might be complaining to you of TMD or facial pain, or headaches. These are the most important cardinal symptoms and signs that they would present to a dentist with. If, on the other hand, a patient is coming in to see you and you think think that, you know, they're looking red-faced, they're paunchy, they're, they're fat, and they're on a cocktail of hypertensive drugs, or they're diabetic, or they've had a stroke, you know, and you look in the airway and you can't see the airway, 
These are things that you need to look at and say, well, okay, maybe, let me just ask the question, by the way, how do you sleep? How do you feel when you wake up in the morning? And if he says, oh God, I feel terrible when I wake up in the morning, when I wake up with a headache or, you know, people are not aware. They don't know what to say to a dentist when they come in. Mm -hmm. All about education. It's all about education, raising awareness, and then providing access to treatment. For me, that's my mantra. Raise the awareness, mm -hmm. provide the education, and then give them access to treatment. That treatment may be something that we are providing or provided by somebody else. Now, going through, going down the algorithm, so if they're asymptomatic and snorers, you provide them with a mandibular advancement device, but make sure that it's documented that you've done that and advise the GP that this has been done. So I think that's the most important thing that we have to look out for. If, on the other hand, they come in complaining of snoring, but they are symptomatic and they're very tired and they're sleepy in the day, then they must go for a formal diagnosis. Formal diagnosis even before you make an appliance only for the snoring? Yeah. If you make that uh, diagnosis, well, not the diagnosis, if you think that this patient is symptomatic, they are at risk of OSA, the guideline says that you refer them on for a formal diagnosis, okay? But mm -hmm. you can make them an, uh, a mandibular advancement device just to combat their snoring while you send them off for a formal diagnosis and make sure that you advise whoever you're referring to or the GP that you've actually made the, the splint only for them to be able to sleep or sleep with a bed partner for snoring. That's it. Not because you're saying, oh, actually, the treatment for this patient is a mandibular advancement device. Mm -hmm. Because doctors do not like us treading on their territory. The other message is to make sure everyone realizes this is not a dental condition, it's a medical condition. Mm -hmm. It's a medical condition that needs dental intervention. And this is the first time that the NICE guideline actually acknowledges the role of dentistry. It's taken me almost 10 years to get this, <laughs> you know, recognize that actually dentistry has a pivotal role in managing these patients. And you know, not just dentists, but also the whole dental care professional, you know, the hygienist, the therapists, because who sees the therapist and the hygienist more than anyone else? The patients will see them more, more often than us, right? Absolutely. So, I, I think you've uh, covered a, a really wonderful thing there, how we are, should not be writing in our notes di the diagnosis of uh, OSA, obstructive sleep apnea. That's for the medical, uh, that's for the physicians to do. We can write screened for uh, and moderate high risk and then, and then arrange the referral. So the first question is, uh, in, the, in the UK, obviously it might vary in different country, but in the UK, we need to be referring this to the GP. Now, I use a little S4S, have a little docket. That, that's a very nice little template to, to the GP. Uh, do you guys have something for, to, to give to the dentist to help the referral? Absolutely. So the British Society of Dental Sleep Medicine, we've actually just about to launch us our new website. And when people are, mem well, when you become members, you have access to not only the the algorithm, the pathway, and we also and that pathway, by the way, is accepted by the uh, ARTP, which is you know the British Sleep Society ARTP, where they will actually they, they've actually said yes, we recognize this as an acceptable pathway for dentists to follow, and that's also very powerful. So it's not just dentists telling dentists that we're we you know we're okay. It's the medical fraternity that's telling us that yes, actually what you're doing is correct. Mm -hmm. So we've got that pathway. They also have access to screening documents, screening questionnaires, and they also have access to consent form that we have actually gone through over and over again to make it fairly robust 
to make sure that we don't fall into the pitfalls. Because, you know, because now this is now on the actual radar of certain, you know, maybe even some of the indemnity insurers, we need to make sure that everyone who is protected, you know, we may think that a bit of tooth movement, a bit of jaw pain may be okay, but actually there's no need for that to happen. We can do everything we can to mitigate those side effects with the use of the appropriate device. So the one thing I, I always stress to all my members and to anyone who comes to me for any advice or help is, yes, go ahead and do your courses. Go and get industry-led courses if you want to, but if you really want to do the right thing, Learn to use more than one device because one device does not fit all. There's no such thing as one device. It's almost like the CPAP masks, right? One CPAP mask does not fit every person. So each one has to be personalized. We have to do the same thing for oral appliance therapy. So we are about to create a consortium of oral appliances that people will be able to pick and choose from. This is this is brilliant. I just want, just want to add. I, I have the same philosophy with occlusal appliances. I, I manage a lot of bruxism stuff, uh, and part of the very first thing I do is an airway screening. So if anyone is as high risk, I would not make that occlusal appliance because from from what I believe and what I follow in the literature I've read, an occlusal appliance for bruxism can make your obstructive sleep apnea worse by opening the OVD and dislodge the manual, make someone more class two. So uh, if anyone's high risk, I will always refer them on before making uh, the appliance, or because um, the correct appliance made them uh, for them may be something that will also help the airway. So yes, it's, it's not just everyone gets a Michigan spin or everyone gets soft bite guard in that regard as well. So it's very similar. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this, the Protrusive team, and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. You can make a splint, upper or lower, or whatever you want to make for every patient. But if there's a risk of sleep disorder breathing for you, like you said, make it protrusive. If you're mm. making a protrusive splint, then the patient will be fine. But, you know, we have so many patients that have been treated with Michigans and Tanners, and we've made them apneic. Mm -hmm. I've yes. just seen a, a medical legal case that I've been treating recently, and this gentleman had a class 3 jaw alignment, went to see a Maxfac surgeon, and instead of looking at his maxilla, which was underdeveloped, they retruded it with surgery and orthodontics. They've made that patient severely apneic. Now... You know, we're going to have to do corrective surgery. So I've just made him an occlusal appliance, you know, with all his, you know, pins and screws and everything. And it's going to be a really long protected legal case. But I'm terrified because I, I, I having to protrude that jaw with all this, you know, surgery that he's had is quite mm -hmm. challenging. But, mm -hmm. you know, we have to be careful that that patient assessment is so important. You know, making them, uh, if you don't assess the TMD, for example, that's your baby, right? So if you don't assess the patient properly for potential TMD issues, for, you know, with mm -hmm. a protective splint, then you, you're really going to, you know, get yourself into trouble. And I had one colleague uh, recently who posted on, a, on one of our uh, forums on Facebook that 
a patient came and he had snapped a post crown on the upper lateral incisor and the patient felt as though it was from the pressure uh, of the appliance and, and she wanted to know uh, is that is that possible so can you please explain about what kind of adverse effects could happen with these oral appliance uh, therapies to bring the mandible forward so mandible advancement splints because we need to appreciate, just like you said before, there's many different di designs and therefore we need to pick the correct design based on the occlusal features and the dental features that we're presented with. Do you know, it, you've, you've hit a very important point there. I, I, I have learned, all have learned through my mistakes. That's the best way to learn because you don't want to make them again. I remember, you know, I was sent a patient by one appliance company through their marketing and they asked me to make a, a device for them. And that device was not suitable for this patient because this patient's mouth was full of you know, bridges and crowns that I had not provided. And because they were metal ceramic, we took the radiographs, they all looked fine, no problem at all, no root carries, nothing. And then of course, you know, I, I, in my wisdom, which was not a good, good element at the time, this many years ago, I provided him with a device that was holding onto the teeth in a different manner to what other devices do. So it was literally gripping within the triangles between the teeth. Mm -hmm. So the next day he came, I, I provided the device. He was really happy. Off he went. Two days later, he comes back into my clinic and he chucks the device at me with the bridge in, in, the, in, the, in the devices. Ooh. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, you know, and it was completely rotted. It was so badly rotted. And he said to me, you've done this. And I said, no, I haven't actually. But what had happened is because I could not assess that treatment, and it wasn't treatment I had provided, I couldn't tell how good or bad that restorative work was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we dug the bridge out and we repaired it and we, you know, put a root uh, a post in, put it back in. But, you know, it never really worked well because of that. I was always worried. And the next time, you know, that post came off again. And I realized, actually, that I had made him the wrong device. Mm -hmm. I should have been a bit more knowledgeable about what kind of device that man, that gentleman needed. He wanted something that was going to be easily repaired, easily adjusted to a new bridge mm -hmm. where there might have been a silicone lining, perhaps, you know, maybe a somnomat device, which would have a silicone lining that is, adjust, you know, that is actually replaceable. Say, for example, the S4S device, the Sleepwell, mm -hmm. that also has a silicone lining, but that lining is not replaceable. It, it doesn't, you can't replace it. So, but this silicone lining in the in the somnomat devices, you can replace it. So if a patient comes in, tooth breaks, you put an onlay, inlay, crown, whatever you do, all you do is rescan or re-impression, send the device back to the lab, and they just put a new lining in. So that is the that's why I go back to the thing you must have knowledge of more than one device. 100%. Yeah? And this thing about, you know, TMD, for example, you know, it's a myth that you can't treat any patients with TMD. In fact, mm -hmm. sometimes with the right assessment, you actually make these TMD patients better mm -hmm. by opening up that jaw and protruding slightly. Down and forward. You can get that disc recapture. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. these are facts that we need to. So the blanket statement, do not pay, you know, touch patients with TMD, do not make a device for people who are bruxing because they'll break it. It's not true. It's just not true. In the same way with periodontal disease, do not treat people with periodontal disease. That's half the population. Mm -hmm. There's and just other appliances that we need to learn about that you can use the appliance without putting pressure through the periodontal ligament. Not only that, but did you know that there's a bi-directional link between periodontal disease and obstructive sleep apnea? One makes the other okay. worse. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. 
inflammatory diseases. Both of them mm-hmm. create inflammation. And periodontal disease gets worse when people have OSA. There's absolute, there's quite a lot of work that's been done by Gilles Levine from uh, yes, Montreal yes. and also by uh, Maria Clotilde Cara, a great friend of mine from Paris. Now, she gave a wonderful talk at the RSM uh, last year uh, on periodontal disease. Now, if you see a patient with periodontal disease, not, not people that you just blow or you flick it and the tooth drops out, of course, these people need a bit more care. But, you know, people who have got uncontrolled periodontal disease, you should be thinking, why can I not control this? Do they have the additional signs and symptoms of OSA? You Mm -hmm, treat mm -hmm. OSA and that periodontal disease can be controlled. Not in every case, but they can be controlled. It's another factor to consider, isn't it? Exactly. So I think that if you then have a a device that you you treat the the OSA, motivate these patients who are not... pretty generally feeling crap anyway, and they don't want to, they're not motivated to seek help. Make them feel better, and then they can go and seek help. So, you know, I wouldn't discard every patient with periodontal disease. Mm-hmm. You have to guard it. The guideline actually does say that, you know, be guarded with TMD and uh, periodontal disease. But I've just written a, a big document for the transformation services uh, of sleep services in this country for the NHS. It's going to be published soon. And in that, I have actually documented provisors that do not discard patients with peri disease, do not discard patients with TMD, treat them with a little bit further assessment. Yeah, I think that's needed rather than a, a blanket statement. Now, Aditi, just so following on the, the, the path, let's say we have that moderate to high-risk patient uh, and we've been a very good GDP, we've done the screening, we've done, we thought, we'll, we'll look beyond caries and perio, we're looking at the patient as a whole. We make that referral using, let's say, the, the society sort of pathway and the, the, the form and it goes to the GP. Now, hopefully, and I, I want this episode to be listened to by GPs as well because some GPs, uh, they spoke to, they speak to some patients and they say, nah, you're, you're, you're under 50, what's your BMI, nah, you probably don't have obstructive sleep apnea. So this very much, I know you know this, very much exists in the medicinal world as well. They need more training. I think they realize that as well, actually. So there's a huge change and shift coming uh, in terms of medicine and dentistry, in terms of learning more uh, about this condition. Now, let's say you get a GP who I find that with these referral letters, which are quite quite nice. They actually give the GP a lot of information to go by. And then that GP is then able to make the referral to a sleep physician. Am I right in saying that I, as a GDP, cannot refer directly to a sleep physician? I have to go via a GP. Is that correct? Not necessarily anymore. We are actually looking at direct referral into a sleep service. And that is something I've been driving for as well, because absolutely, I'm sorry, but you know, not everyone has the, they're not, everyone's not the favored few that can afford private care. We need to make the pathway simple and less onerous for the patient. I mean, come on, this is about patients, not about us. And the GPs are not interested in a lot of cases, not everyone, but a lot of GPs are not. Trying to actually train GPs to make them more aware of what their role is has been a bit of a challenge for everyone. The RSM, you know, the sleep uh, sleep section of which I sit on the council, the dental section, we've all been trying to get the GPs to be a bit more engaging. But you know, they're so busy and inundated, this is the last thing they want to do. That's my opinion, okay? That's my own personal opinion. I mean, I- I I, I 100% agree. Uh, From from what I've seen, I know you've seen much more, but from my experiences with other other colleagues uh, and the fact that one of my patients the other week told me that he had to literally get a heart attack to be able to be see a GP face to face nowadays. So again, another barrier because the times that we're in to actually getting to even see a GP is can Absolutely. only be slowing down the, the workflow. 
Yeah, so that's why we're trying to get these referrals straight into the sleep service, the NHS sleep services, and make it less onerous. But again, the other drive is that assessment, screening, and diagnosis is actually going to be brought into primary care. And that is why the dental role has become even more important. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at, you know, dentists, pharmacies, GPs, all of them are going to be more and more involved in the initial screening and assessment of this of the of the sleep sleepy patient. And once that's been established, then they can be sent into secondary care and then into tertiary care if necessary. A lot of them are tertiary referrals. They do need tertiary care. They, I mean, mm. at one end of the spectrum, you've got the benign snorers. At the other end of the spectrum are people who cannot sleep and breathe at the same time. They just can't do both together. So these are the people who need to be artificially ventilated. And mm -hmm. these are the tertiary referrals. But I mean, we don't get involved with those because the moment you see someone who comes in and says, by the way, I, uh, you know, I'm sleepy, for example, they want to say, oh gosh, I'm always sleepy, or you think they're, all, they're looking a bit sleepy. Did you know that the bags, the bluish gray tinge around the eyes is also a very cardinal symptom of somebody who might have OSA? So mm -hmm. especially in a child, you know. So if you look in the mouth and you think, mm, you know, airways blocked, tooth grinding, you know, neck is fat, he's snoring, you know, gray eyes. I mean, isn't that enough to say to you, let's get this patient screened? Just to go one step further, Jazz, home sleep testing. Mm. In the States, they have been very adamant to not allow dentists to carry out home sleep testing. That's the ambulatory sleep testing. You know, the way the patient is given the kit, they either bring it back or they throw it away and you get the result through the cloud. They have actually, you know, relented somewhat in some states. But in this country now, we can give out home sleep tests as a dentist. However, that sleep test must be formally reported and assessed, mm -hmm. you know, by a sleep physiologist or a sleep physician you know, who has the expertise. To could, you, could you recommend a service that you use in terms of a dentist who may be yeah. a little bit more switched on and want to start you know, listening today? Then we're like, oh, I didn't know I could do this. Absolutely. So what I do is I use a kit called the WatchPad 1, which is an ambulatory one that you give to the patient. You log it on the system. They do the test at night and then throw it away. I get the results through the cloud. But I also elect for that on the system. I elect for that test to be reported formally by one of my medical colleagues, for example, and I've got a dearth of them. So I get the report back saying, this patient has is snoring in this body position, is positional snoring or positional sleep apnea, stops breathing so many times, the HI score, or the oxygen levels are you know, desaturating to the point where we recommend that this patient should have a CPAP trial. Or they might just say, if the patient, you know, is a bit sort of on the borderline, they'll say, well, actually, they could also try a mandibular advancement device. So that mm -hmm. that's, for me, medical legally, that keeps me in the clear. So if I then make them a medical uh, an oral appliance, that's fine. The guidance does say that, you know, for anyone sleepy, whether there's a snorer, mild, moderate, or severe sleep apneic, they should have a CPAP trial, no matter what the level of disease is. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I, I felt when I read that in the guidelines, I, I know it's great that they've mentioned dentists, uh, for, uh, you know, in the guidelines. But from from reading that, it's like every patient who gets that diagnosis, the gold standard is a CPAP, and then so what we're waiting for is really the leftovers. So so how how do we work with the? How do you get busy because you want to help these patients who can't 
get on with their CPAP, how do we filter those patients? How do we get, how do we attract those patients? I guess that's a, a big topic as well. So that in itself is quite, yeah, that's a very moot point, actually. So if a patient is, they go into the sleep service and they are all given CPAP, we know that we have as much as many as 50% of people who will either be intolerant or unaccepting of the CPAP. So this is plan B for us, which is why the next... And Aditya, can you, can you just mention for those young dentists listening who've never heard of CPAP before, uh, why it's not so sexy or why it might not be so sexy and what it does and how it works? So CPAP is actually a mask that you wear over your face or the nose. And what it does, it's like a pneumatic splint. It's got a big sort of elephant trunk with a little machine that sits on the side of the bed. And what it's doing is actually pumping air into the airway. And it's actually opening up that airway. What it's not doing is not pumping oxygen or air into your lungs. It's only opening up that airway which has collapsed in order to keep it open so the patient can continue breathing normally. So these are the patients where the claustrophobia of the mask or the nasal, well, if they've got nasal congestion, they may not be able to tolerate the, the, the mask itself, the air going through the nostrils. And, and some people, because it's quite an onerous thing to wear, it's not sexy, like you said, they don't want to wear it. And, 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 and some of the machines are quite um, sophisticated, but they may not be the ones that are available on the NHS. The ones mm-hmm. that are available on the NHS, some people might find them noisy. Bed partner might find them noisy. Pregnant women find them intolerant because mm-hmm. you know they have to sleep on the side and the mask keeps on shifting away. So there are lots and lots of side effects. People talk about the side effects of all appliances. If yeah. I give you a list of side effects, if you ever come to any of my courses, I'll give you a list of side effects that have been shown for CPAP, including mm-hmm. skeletal changes, including dental changes. These are important points that one needs to remember. It's not just the oral appliances that have side effects. Everything in science has a consequence. I guess the other thing worth mentioning is I know of some colleagues who spoke of some patients who might travel a lot and they can't take their CPAP on, the, on their flight with them and they're afraid to fall asleep on their flight because they're worried about the whole snoring and whatnot and, and the fact that if they go camping and whatnot. So sometimes uh, they, they, you know, these patients may be in a situation where they rely on their CPAP at home because they, you know, they, they get along well, well with it. But for holidays of other times, they may well benefit from uh, an oral appliance. Um, how, how do you see that fitting into it? So that's, that's actually quite a good way of describing it because I think it's all got to do with raising awareness. If you let the public know that there's hope beyond CPAP, then they will come to you for help. People don't always want to wait for the NHS. They are long waiting lists. They're, they're fed up. They feel that you know the, the wife or the husband, and I don't want to be sexist here, if one of them gets into the second bedroom or sleeps on the couch, they see that as a slippery slope for their marriage. And I think for them, they need help and they need help desperately. So when they come and see me, for example, they never say to me, oh my God, I, I, I just want you to treat my snoring. I'm fed up with it. They will never say that to me. They'll say to me, look, I'm doing this for my bed partner, my wife, my husband, or girlfriend, or whatever, because she's not getting a good night's sleep, or she's fed up, or she's in the other room. You know, so they're doing it for others not just for themselves because they don't care whether they're snoring or not because they don't wake up if they are waking up constantly and they're waking up choking as a result of because all all snorers are not sleep apneics but all sleep apneics are pretty much snorers that is a distinction you have to make so if you're treating a snorer are you treating just the snorer or you're treating the sleep apneic 
If you're treating the sleep apnea, the byproduct of sleep, uh, treating the sleep apnea is they're going to treat their snoring as well. So that's mm-hmm. important to remember. So you were asking me about how do we get these patients? Well, you get these patients by raising awareness, providing the patient with you know, knowledge of what is available out there. And if the patient then decides and elects not to try the CPAP, as long as it's documented, then you can safely make them an oral appliance. But everything has to be documented. Remember medical legally, if it's not written, it did not happen. I yeah. cannot tell you how important that is. Well, I really appreciate uh, everything you covered and also for sharing uh, the, that difficult experience you had with a patient with a bridge. I think that's so real world for us as general dentists and restorative dentists. And it's, it's great, really, really nice to hear of your experiences and your learning journey. The main thing I want to wrap up with is getting this information to, to dentists so that this I'm hoping was a real eye opener and an ear opener for, for dentists who are just very new or haven't heard of sleep disorder breathing and how we have a role in screening. And then for those patients who do not get along with their CPAP or as an adjunct to for, for when they go on holiday and stuff may need a, a mandibular advanced splint, we need to learn more. And we don't need to just go on one industry led appliance and give that same appliance to everyone. We need to give a, a few different uh, appliances. So please, how do we get involved uh, in the UK as a dentist and around the world? How do we get involved to learn? more from you guys call me i think no i think the most important thing is get on the british society of dental sleep medicine website there's a dearth of information there yes you know we've got a new website coming it'll hopefully i hope it'll be launched by the end of the week or next week if it doesn't it's not my fault but <laughs> i think to do to 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 attend a course that's led by a credible society because we're now part of the british sleep society so mm-hmm. we are actually working with the medical people, not just dentistry on its own. Perfect. Right? It's, not coffee, it's not a coffee club anymore. So mm-hmm. I think for me, that is important. Having industry-led courses, which are, you know, industry is so desperate to get into it. Since the publication of the NICE guideline, industry is in here running courses, you know, showing them how, impo- you know, wonderful their devices are. Of course they are. But please, let's be measured about this. Learn about the basics of sleep disorder breathing, learn about how to treat these patients effectively and safely, and then learn about the various devices afterwards. Because, you know, you will find your own favorites. You'll find the ones which were favorites. I mean, for example, I was the face of Narval. You know, I've done videos with them. I've done photographs with them. I'm on the internet. But you know what? I don't make any of their devices because I've had more problems with those than any others. But that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm stating it. It's in my own hands what works for Mm me. Mm -hmm. There are others who will have other devices. But that for me is if you go into the BSTSM website, you will be able to attend courses which are unbiased. Totally unbiased, you know, and we have mentorship. And there's one on the 16th. I just saw on your Facebook. You didn't tell me. I just saw you, the 16th September in Manchester. So Manchester. that's an example of one of the courses that you guys run. Would that, with a course like that, obviously covers a lot of theory in terms of screening, diagnosis, how to work with the GP. But uh, to what extent does it cover uh, oral appliance therapy? It it covers all of that. The only thing that we are not doing face to face is because of COVID. But now we're going to get back into face-to-face where we'll have a hands-on element. So on the 16th, although I'm not running that course because I'm, I'm running another course, on the 16th, the, the people that are running the course, that are my board members, they are very experienced and they will show everyone how to take a George Gage registration, for example. Because if you get that wrong, scanning and taking impressions is pipsqueak. We all know that. That's not skill. The skill is getting that jaw registration correct. Because if you have mm-hmm. any deviation, then you're running into trouble. 
And mm-hmm. that's what is the most important thing, especially when you're working with precision devices that are so, you know, so accurate. You've got to make sure that absolutely. Like the Somnowell, right? I mean, I'll, I'll just name a brand. Is that is that a classified as a, as a precision device? I wouldn't call the Somnowell a precision device. I haven't used Somnowell for the last 10 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I work with ProSomnus. Mm-hmm. very closely. They're the American company. I work with Panthera, which is from Quebec. I do provide Somnomed devices as well. They're very good. They're market leaders too. But I think those three are probably the the, the ones that I work with most closely. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. And just like, and it very much backs up what you said, you know, and, and I'll say it's look, I'm, I'm friends with S4S. Look, I, I've used their appliance for, but I just feel a lot of my colleagues' GDPs, because they're so good at marketing GDPs, all they know is a sleep well appliance and, and that's it. And and so uh, I think we owe it to the profession and our patients to to think, you know, beyond the soft splint for everyone, beyond the Michigan for everyone, beyond the sleep well. So we need to, to do that. And I think uh, BDSM is a great place to start. So I'll put all the links in the show notes. When I email out my list, when I uh, launch this episode, I'll make sure there's a, a direct link to go to the website so you can learn more. Uh, so this could be the starting point. At the very least, if you can screen patients and start making those referrals and having those conversations, I think we're going to improve the health of the nation. Absolutely. And just one other thing before I go. So we Please. also have an Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, of which I'm also the president. And what we're doing is we're actually working with the Academy on behalf of the society to run courses, which are not just foundation courses, but, you know, going that little bit more. Because what I don't want to do is end up like the, you know, when you ended up years ago becoming an implant dentist, you went to a, to a table, you had a big jaw, you drilled a hole, you put the screw in, and you thought, I'm now an implantologist on Monday morning. We have gone beyond that now, and we want to teach, I want to teach the members what can go wrong, and how to manage it, and what not to do, more than how to do the right thing. Because, you know, like I said, uh, scanning and uh, impressions are you know, not that important. So we have a website for the Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine as well. And they're going to have modular courses online. And then eventually, very soon, we're about to launch. Well, we've got the masterclass that we launched in 19, 2019, but then COVID hit. So we're going to relaunch it in October, September. And then the PG cert also goes out Hopefully Brilliant. Uh, I'm going to share that link with everyone. Check it out myself as well. So uh, amazing. It's been, you've been, you know, what? I love your style, Aditi. You're so direct. I, I, I hope you hear that. I hope people praise you for this because I just love like boom, 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 boom. You're so succinct. There's no waffling. I, I love that type of educator. So I definitely want to learn more from you. Really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing so concisely, so beautifully with all the dentists listening. And you're more than welcome to come again. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. And if you did so, then just answer a few cheeky questions and get some CPD. My team will email you a certificate and we'll keep doing so for as many episodes as you want. It's just one of the many benefits of being a Protrusive Premium member. So if you download the app or go on the app on Chrome, if you literally just type in on your URL browser, protrusive.app, it will take you to the app homepage. Once you actually have an account, you can actually access the app through iOS, Android, and the website using that same login. Because let's face it, some people just like to learn on a laptop and not on their device. If you felt inspired by Dr. Aditi Desai to learn more, then the best thing I can recommend wherever you are in the world is to attach or align yourself with your local Dental Sleep Medicine Society. Now, in the UK, we do have the British Society of Dental Sleep Medicine. and They've got an event on the 4th of March. It's like a member's day. And if you're interested in getting in this space, then you should totally check this out. I'll put the link in the show notes below. But like I said, if you're in the US or Australia or wherever you are in the world, there's some lots of great societies to align yourself with. If you found this episode useful, please do leave a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Thank you again, my friend. I'll catch you next time.